My name is Ben Almond. I work for a Fortune 250 company with over 50,000 employees. Using the perspective of this background, combined with my own life experiences and a passion for great leadership, I share observations and ideas for you to use on your development journey. This is The View, from where I sit. Hey everybody, Ben here. We've all been given advice over the course of our careers, no matter how long or how short your career may be so far. Today on the podcast, we get a chance to talk with Kate Kenny. Kate is a VP of Sales in the UK for Jacobs, and we've had a chance to meet and have some really interesting chats over the past three years. This week, you get to listen in and hear how Kate has also received some advice, and how COVID has allowed her the perspective to think critically about those words of, air quote, wisdom. Through this, we discuss how leadership is changing and the advantages of feeling safe enough to be your whole self at work. Please listen and enjoy. All right. Excited to have you today, Kate. I think it might be worthwhile to share with people a little bit of your story of how you got to where you are today before we get into more context around all the things that make you special as a leader. Oh, Ben, thank you. Thanks for inviting me along today. So at the moment, I'm vice president and head of sales for the UK and Ireland for Jacobs. So I've had a very interesting journey here, probably not a very traditional route within a predominantly engineering organisation. My background is actually pure maths. So I came out of school and went and did a pure maths degree at the University of London and came out and had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with it. And I ended up working in nightclubs, <laughs> which is probably not the most traditional thing to do. Um, but I absolutely loved it. I think for anyone who wants to understand customer experience, dealing with difficult situations, it's a really good grounding point for anyone's career. I think if you can handle a nightclub bar within a city in some very interesting circumstances, you can do pretty much anything. However, at some point I thought maybe I should do something that's more connected to my degree. And I ended up going to work for who is now ACOM as a graduate transport consultant, predominantly doing mathematical modelling of transport systems and I did all kinds of really interesting stuff with them. So I did a review of the government plan for transport. Um, I worked with the European Commission looking at cross-border data exchange. I also analysed the results of the first congestion charging scheme in London. So really, really varied experience. I then eventually ended up moving and I went to SKM and SKM was then acquired by Jacobs. That almost sounds like the end of the story, <laughs> but but it really isn't. So um, I have had two careers with Jacobs now because I managed to step out of Jacobs for a while, but then saw the error of my ways and came back in a couple of years ago. And I've had a real focus on cities over the past few years of my career. So I led cities from a sales perspective for Jacobs in Europe and then led the 
cities and built environment business for Jacobs as well in the same region before moving into a sales role. So that's a very quick kind of skim over how I managed to get to this particular role. I got hung up there, Kate, on one part of your journey. So was it the nightclub? <laughs> good guess. <laughs> good, good guess. And the nightclub in particular, and then the transition from working in a nightclub to doing mathematical analysis of transit schemes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tell us more. So yeah, I ended up getting headhunted. They wanted someone numerate. Um, and it was at a time I thought I probably can't work in nightclubs for the rest of my life. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shift, even just from the, the time of the day I was working, <laughs> going from a night job to a day job. Um, but, you know, it, it was the right move looking back. But quite honestly, I think I learned so much through working in a nightclub. How to handle difficult people, how to negotiate difficult conversations, how to stand up for myself. Yeah, so it was very grounding. Oh, I love that. I, I, I think something I often share with people is you're going to get asked to do some things and you may not always see the value in them. And, and frankly, you may do them for a while and never go do that again, but you learn from all of those experiences, right? And, you got to be able to find those things that you take away. And I, I love that you can look back on your experience in the nightclub and translate that into things that have probably been useful for you as you progressed in your career in this infrastructure industry, multiple uh, different organizations and using, you know, what is a non-traditional skill set too, right? With the, uh, with a pure mathematical background. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're both about providing service to people at the end of the day and, and knowing what's valuable and taking feedback from the customers and improving, you know, there's an amazing number of parallels between the two jobs, but I think people very rarely would see a connection. Yeah. That customer focus and I can feel it, but maybe it's worthwhile for you to expand a little bit on when you're talking about the customer, you're not talking about a transit agency or the person who's paying the bills, my take on our history of working together is that you're talking about the cities and the communities that you're doing business in and the people that live there being that end user and the, the actual real customer of the work that you do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And something that I'm very passionate about from a sales perspective is really understanding customer need. And that that's client needs, but also who who's actually going to be the benefactor at the end of the day. So if you're looking at a master planning project, it's going to be the people that live there. Do we thoroughly understand what their needs are and can we respond to them? Do we know what the needs of the local authority is that we're working for? If you're standing at a bar, do you understand what the customers need and are you providing great service? I think it all comes back to people and understanding people and really getting to the heart of what the problems are and what the opportunities are. For me, sales is not about selling what you've got. It's about listening and understanding and responding to that. I go so far, Kate, as to say that's leadership in a nutshell, right, is being able to listen and influence and understand the challenges your team, your customer, 
all of the above are facing today, but also those things that are coming at them and help prepare them to overcome those challenges. At one point, when we were originally talking about getting together on the podcast, it was my last business trip pre-COVID, literally flew back (laughs) to Canada into isolation. But we actually, we were talking at the time about, you know, the circular economy and how that can be a positive influence on the cities that we all live in. And maybe, Kate, would you mind sharing a little bit of the concept of the circular economy and how you see that actually from a people standpoint as well, right? Well, yeah, sure. And I think another part that we were talking about, both kind of sustainability from a circular economy, environmental viewpoint, but also from an inclusive viewpoint. And I'm really, really interested about inclusion at a city scale, but also how that translates through scales, even to the workplace, to the home. So if I pick up that kind of circular cities theme, well, since the Industrial Revolution, around taking stuff, using it, and then throwing it away, and circular economy principles are really looking about how we can break that and bring more circular thinking around reuse, recycling, around materials. So obviously that's that's very applicable in an engineering type concept, but also information. So, so it's got lots of different parallels. And certainly if you think at a city's level, if you were thinking about circularity across a whole city, you can think about all the actors that work across the city, different organisations, different communities, and how if you looked at different materials, they could be reused in different ways by different people. So like a real life example is in London, when they've been building Crossrail, they have been taking the waste out for whether the line has gone through and that's been taken out into East London where it's been used to build a wildlife sanctuary, for example. So that waste has been put to really good use that benefits the UK as a whole. I think there's some really, really exciting examples of that. I think the only way we get to making decisions like that that are really visionary and broad is if we're able to challenge ourselves and bring different viewpoints to the table, which kind of brings us back to, you know, your comment on inclusion and how do we bring inclusive approach to solving problems and leadership and, you know, business and life in general. And and I know you've got some passion around this. Tell us more. Yeah. And I think, you know, what a year to be discussing this. COVID had such a fundamental impact on us and I think it's really allowed us to peel back what's happening in societies and shine a big torch on inclusion. We know different aspects of society has have been impacted by the pandemic in some very different ways. I'm talking across gender, race, class. It's really highlighted some big divides that we've got in society and an enormous amount of work that we need to do to deal with some of those underlying barriers different portions of our society have. So that can be tackled at a city level. And I think it's really, really critical that we look at all these underlying problems at the moment. But I also think it's very applicable to organisations and the workplace. 
and Ben, you and I work together and we're lucky that we work for a really an organisation that's very progressive and it's very focused on the inclusion and diversity agenda. We've been working from home for the majority of this year, as have many of our colleagues, and it's just completely changed how we operate. I'm sure if if you asked us five years ago, we never thought we'd be able to do what we've done now. Um, And I have two little boys at home, and it's been a big eye-opener for me. Being at home more for them, spending time with them, and creating more of a work-life balance. And what a great opportunity we've got to maintain a level of flexibility and allow people with all kinds of different lifestyles to get what they need out of their life and work and for us all to work really really effectively together it kind of brings you back to you know crisis oftentimes puts us through the worst but brings out the best right and i i've been thinking about this a lot lately too kate that you know while we've been on this journey to try and be more inclusive and to use the words, you know, bring your whole self to work and people feel comfortable about that. I think we've been trying to do that while working within the construct of something that was restrictive. So now, you know, we've been tossed into a pandemic. All of us have had to throw our normal routines, our normal approaches, everything out to the side. And whether it's figuring out how you create a pseudo commute where you take a moment and sit and have a cup of tea and read a newspaper before you start work, or you're doing more with the family or picking kids up from school or doing things you never could do before because you were in the office or doing, doing things that were within the old model. Now, all of a sudden we've been challenged to come up with new ways and I like to think that while it's been a real struggle for everyone to adapt, it's also created the space for people to do some great things, both as leaders and as individuals. So, you know, people feel comfortable now that they have family life going on in the background. Having, you know, one of your boys walk behind you while you're on a Teams meeting wouldn't be the worst thing ever now, where a year ago you might have been mortified if that kind of thing happened. I mean, I'd be surprised if we were using video then. No, it's absolutely true. Um, I I have been mortified, though, when my son walked past me on a video call, particularly when I was presenting to 20 clients and he was dressed as as Darth. Um, (laughs) But I think everyone, everyone saw the funny side of that. I mean, so I've reflected on it and I have always tried to encourage people to be themselves and bring their best selves to work and this experience has told me that I didn't I've never done that until now Mm. I had completely separate work and home lives from what I wore how I operated how I put my hair up the makeup I wore it was like two different capes and now I feel like there's one. And for me, that that is a fundamental change <laughs> in my life. It's really funny. If people saw me in my work clothes, you know, around the village where I live, they'd be like, my God, you know, wow, you're very dressed up. Um, but if you got my children to draw a picture of me, it would be in jeans with a ponytail. 
So these two completely different personas. And I feel much more comfortable now that, that people understand where I live. And I've really appreciated getting to know other people more. And for them to be honest and say, I need to postpone that meeting. There's something happening at home and I need to sort it out. I think, God, this is real, you know, and this is how we need to move forward and have that level of transparency and honesty. And it's okay that stuff happens in your life and we can share it and we don't have to pretend it's not going on. Yeah, I think that's great, Kate. That's that's an excellent point. You've described what a lot of us do, right? Which is that I put on my thing I do for work, which is related to, but is not exactly who I am in my my real life. And I've been thinking about the impact, positive and negative, on a leadership awakening through the pandemic. And and I can only imagine that experience for you has been relieving because now you feel like you can be yourself and and people actually value that. And hopefully yeah. your team is responding to that in a really positive way too, right? I mean, I've I've always sort of thought I've known you as as a really authentic person and maybe this just takes that to the next level for your team. So through my career, Ben, you know, I've always worked in a very male-dominated industry. You know, I'm very used to being one of the few women in the room and I'm really grateful that that has shifted a lot over the past 20 years um, and now I feel that things are and continue to get much more diverse which is wonderful. Over the course of that time the kind of advice I've been given has included you need to lower your voice more so we can hear you at a better pitch on conference calls. Um, it's lucky that you're tall because people value tallness in leaders. You need to stand in Wonder Woman pose when you're presenting to make sure that you're commanding the room. What does this mean now? You know, is any of that relevant? We're now on screens all the time. What does a leader look like on a screen? What do they sound like? And we're moving to a model which I suspect there'll be much more kind of hybrid working. And the purpose of an office, the purpose of that place is going to be less about trudging in there every day through every kind of weather, you know, to sit there with your bum on a seat and churn out your hours and then go home. I think it will become more of a place that you go to if you need to see a client or you need connection with your team, that you need to change up your week. And that bums on seats bit you can do at home. But for a leader, what does it mean if you don't have your team physically around you? You know, you can't march up and down the corridors, you know, barking orders at, at people. You've got to connect in a really different way. I think this is an opportunity for the rise of different types of leaders and different types of leadership that will be valued differently by people. I love that. I held back. For people listening, we actually, Kate actually had to demonstrate for me what the Wonder Woman pose was. Um, <laughs> but you should be demonstrating it to me next, Ben. <laughs> I'm not sure I could pull it off. I'm, uh, I'm too short. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, that's that's the other piece, Kate, is, well, one, I hate that anyone ever felt like they could give you those kind of pieces of advice, like lower your voice. Give me, give me a break. That just says so much about 
how far we've come and hopefully how far we still have to go. But but hopefully this disruption puts us in a place where it goes much more quickly. As you said, I think COVID and the challenges that it's put on us as a society, us as an industry is going to result in an elevation of a certain type of leader and those that can be can create trust and empowerment and engagement. And I think that comes from being your real self and letting other people be their real self, encouraging them to be their real selves. Yeah, I agree. I've taken great interest in this, in how leaders in all kinds of different organizations, governments, how they've conducted themselves, how they've communicated during this crisis. And it's been so varied, but it's really been a masterclass of what to do and also what not to do for me. And and I've picked up so much from seeing what CEOs of client organisations have sent out to people, you know, seeing how world leaders conduct themselves, looking at responsiveness, understanding where people really do have a strategy, how they communicate that, how they demonstrate empathy, how they demonstrate that they're one of the people um, and how they build trust. And I think it it's been such an interesting year for leadership. And I'm so excited for what that could mean moving forward. And also the kinds of people that will be inspired to be leaders now that might have previously thought, I'm not a leader because my voice isn't low enough. I think it shows if you understand people, you can do this. And I think it's going to be incredibly liberating for a lot of people. And maybe supercharging for organizations that embrace the right type of leaders. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Now you can work remotely for anyone, can't you? So why not go for the organizations that really speak to you, that have good values alignment and you believe in their leadership? People more than ever, although I'm sure it doesn't feel like it today, more than ever, people will have choice as we emerge from this because We've broken down the barrier of being able to work a little further apart from each other. And, you know, you and I being on the other side of an ocean from each other is far less of a barrier other than the time zone than it ever used to be. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Although I want you to come back to the UK as soon as you can. <laughs> I, uh, I'd like that, too. I felt like I spent my last visit there checking in every day to see if I was going to be able to get back to Canada. and. <laughs> <laughs> and and every day felt like it was a little bit on edge, although I would be remiss if I didn't bring something up. You know, at the time when I was there, you know, one of the conversations we were having was talking about engendered design and from a gender bias standpoint, how an inclusive look at how we do our business and how we look at the design and layout of cities and transit centers and and flow of people, how those things can make a difference in people's lives. And we were looking very much at a downstream impact that will be positively influenced by these things that we're talking about that are at a much higher level around, you know, behaviors and authenticity and empathy. I think that the approaches that we were talking about then are probably more accessible now that people have opened their eyes to 
you know, the reality of us all being humans and we're not, you know, suited automatons that show up at the office and follow directions and use a process to get somewhere. I love the concept of bringing a different viewpoint to some of these things that we were probably doing a certain way because it's always been done that way. And I wonder, Kate, if, if we ought not to take a step back to that place we were talking about what seems like a million years ago, but is only March. And think about how you take that thinking of a gender bias type design and how we remove that in, in your thinking then, but take that to a broader scale. I think there's applicability to lots of the diversity and inclusion conversation here, but we can look at, at gender as one example. And if we look at cities, typically cities have a, a central business district and then they have suburbs and people generally live in the suburbs and then go and work in the central business district. This is built off a very traditional family model where you have um, a heterosexual couple with a family. The man is the breadwinner. He goes into the central business district to do his work. The woman remains in the suburbs and provides caring responsibility for the family. And that's how cities across the world are typically set up. And I think things are going to start changing after this. You know, the impact of COVID from a gender perspective, a lot of pressure and responsibility has fallen on women or on primary caregivers. So that you know, that could be men too. But it's shown how much unpaid care work people do, particularly when schools closed. You know, it's really the carers that, that take the brunt of that. You talked about, you know, no longer having that commute then and what you can do with that time and um, you're fitting in the old cup of tea. There will be less commuting if we've got this kind of hybrid model and that creates opportunities and to have a much better split of opportunities by gender and we know there's some amazing data from the UN around what that opportunity means for female employment and also for the economy as a whole. There's an absolutely brilliant book which you should read if you haven't already which is called Invisible Women and it talks about gender design. So things like seat belts in cars, they are generally designed to keep men safe and they're not designed for a woman's body and there's so many things around society at the moment that take a gendered view on things and we really really need to think more holistically and you know beyond gender are we making the right decisions for people across society are we providing accessible solutions for people um are we providing fair options for people and and this is the year i think that's going to change the view you know i think from all aspects kate you're bang on i i think if you know we take a step all the way back and go you know families look different than they've ever looked in the past and you know how caregivers look in terms of looking after children could be drastically different than anything everybody's imagined in their sort of general construct in the past, right? Be it, you know, gender related, etc. All of those things now become 
open to discussion and less fit in this is how it was, so this is how it is. I love the fact that now that allows more opportunity for everybody. Yeah, we just have to grasp it, don't we? And resisting going back to before. That's going to be the hard part, right, is you often are hearing people talk about, I can't wait for it to get back to normal. I'm hoping we can change that conversation to I'm excited for what's coming tomorrow. That means, you know, more balance and more more of that finding what's good for you, both at a personal health and mental health standpoint and a professional standpoint. And like you said, you know, that looks different in the future than it has ever in the past. You know, and I, I think for families of all makeups, that could be drastically different than we've ever seen before, in, including our willingness to share who we are outside of work. I'm hoping when you and I talk a year from now, you're able to reflect a bit back on, you know, what the workplace felt like in the beginning of your career. And it feels a million times, maybe it feels a million times different today, but it feels a million times different or 180 degrees away from, from that a year from now when we're in this future of life and work in society, which is, which is definitely going to be different. That is up to us, isn't it? To make that happen. I have this fear that suddenly we're, you know, vaccines will happen and we get out of the risk of COVID and we return to what it was and forget how much we need to drive towards the future of where we want to go. We've talked about circular economy, but the sustainability agenda. Look what happened when we all stopped and the air quality improved and you could see across London, you know, <laughs> the smog had gone um, and people were cycling around and walking and really appreciating it. And then things get back to normal and the, the roads clog up and people are frightened to go on public transport, you know, and air quality's got terrible again. If we want a different future, we need to do something different now and we have to do some really bold things both as citizens but also as leaders if we want if we want things to change and i think it's a year for real radical commitment to that um and saying i'm not going to do things the way i used to do them there's a a demand for bold decision making and leadership as we come out of this the easy way would be to say okay it's over let's let's go back to the way things were and you know Kate, let's get your hair down and your superwoman pose out <laughs> and your deep voice because <laughs> we're right back where we were. Um, and, and that, you know, as much as, as I'm talking about you, that could easily translate all across society, right? Like we just go right back to the way things were. Maybe we're all carrying a mask in our pocket for a while, but that's the only difference. And that would be a real shame. And that would be a failure of leadership at all levels, I think. I'd love it, Kate. You know, you touched on it a little bit earlier. You're one of my favorite women in leadership around the, the globe that I get to work with. I, I'd love it if you could if you could reflect a little bit on, you know, your career and growing as a leader and maybe translate that a little bit into, you know, women joining our profession, our industry or just, you know, working lives in general translate that into a bit of advice on 
you know, what have you learned along the way? And, and maybe in, including the confidence to say, no, I'm just fine with my hair up. Thank you. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, and, I'm, and I do actually have my hair up now, Ben. You know, when, when I look along my career, obviously my, my life has run alongside it. And I think a lot of things that have happened in my life have really determined decisions I've made in my career. And maybe that's slightly more pronounced because I'm a mother and I really, really value my time above everything else. So I I always have a trade off in my head. Is this a valuable use of my time? Am I getting everything out of it because I'm giving up time with my family to do this? And that really, really drives me. That's led me to making choices about roles that I take when I want to move from things. So for me, it's been really taking a holistic view of what I want to do with my life all the way along and what what I value. I I think there's desperate intertwinings <laughs> around career journey and life for me. I think another really important thing that I've had is some totally brilliant people around me. And I've had some phenomenal sponsors along the way. Um, You know, a couple of those, you know, well, Ben. And someone talked to me um, quite early in my career and told me that there's five people that you need to succeed. And I've always thought about this. Have you heard of this model before? Maybe. So those five people I was told that you need around you, someone who's kind of a Jedi master who is the most brilliant person you know in what you want to do and you can really learn the ropes from them someone who's in your cause so someone who's gonna sponsor you basically if they're in a room and your name comes up they're gonna say that you're great the third person is is your co-pilot so a peer someone who works alongside you that you are experiencing the same stuff that you're working in partnership they give a really kind of clear view on what's happening you can trust them you can bounce stuff off if you've got an idea you can see if it makes sense number four is someone that anchors you and that could be someone outside of work so someone who could just go Kate you're being treated really badly or Kate get a grip (laughs) you know you're blowing this completely out of proportion someone who's got your best interests at heart but you know wouldn't think twice about kicking you up the bum and then lastly um and I've really appreciated this particularly over the past year is a reverse mental so I've been working with a brilliant reverse mental a chap called Connor in the business here and I think he's provided some of the best mentoring that I've ever received in my life around how I communicate how I'm perceived what people need at different levels of an organization and that has really really challenged me um and I think helped me grow so I'm I'm totally indebted by the people that I've had around me and those five roles might change as I'm in different places in my career but I really recognize that they've provided great value to me and and I think it's a model that's really worth thinking about yeah I, I like that Kate we talk often about you know, having your personal board of directors and you just sort of describe how to make that up, right? Yeah. There's a real critical piece of that 
it's easy as someone who is, you know, climbing a corporate organization chart to feel like, you know, there's no advice to be had or you're at some place where you know it all, you know, you're a teenager all over again. And man, I will say the same as you that I learn more from my relationships with folks that in theory, I get connected with as an opportunity to mentor and coach them. But in reality, yeah. they're mentoring and coaching me all along the way. And I think it's fantastic if you're open to those things. And I think that's really important for all of us to remember is you have to be open to inputs from very different places all the time. Totally. And particularly now, you know, we are surrounded by such phenomenally rapid pace of change. How could you on your own keep across everything that's happening and how it impacts everyone? You know, I I always feel that I hardly know anything (laughs) because the world's changing around me. Um, And so making sure that you've got people around you that you can trust and work with and spark ideas and, you know, ground you is just totally critical. I think it's that staying in the learning mindset, right? I mean, you've always got to be seeking out ways to grow and get better. And, you know, I I mean, that's part of asking you for advice for women starting off in their career. You know, certainly Mm. it's a different world than you began in. But sort of to come back to that, you know, you've come to this like moment during the pandemic where you're like, wait a minute, I'm I'm still really great at this and I'm not in a suit I'm being myself I'm able to like do both but you know be at home and look after things at home and you know be awesome at my job how can a, a young woman who's in the beginning of her career get to that place more quickly without without needing a pandemic or that solved already you know I'd love to give a kind of magic bullet <laughs> to say this is what you this is what you need to do. I think a lot of it is understanding what you're good at, understanding what you're not good at, taking opportunities when they come, being realistic around what's a barrier to you, working on that, knowing what you want to prioritise and where your boundaries are. So I get a lot of requests for mentoring um, and most of it is around at some point I want to have a family I need some advice about how that will work. Um, how do you balance children um, with a career? Can I have a career and, and do this? Can you have it all? Um, and it's just an absolutely constant juggle of, of those priorities and working out what is right for you and the, and the life you want to live. So if I was talking to a young woman coming into our our industry now, I'd say follow your intuition, you know, do what you really enjoy. Make sure that you've got those five people around you and, and follow your nose, really. And and I, I'm hopeful, Kate, that our industry, I mean, really our business landscape, whether it's our industry or not, I'm hopeful is is far more embracing of, you know, different background, different home life different factors in your world than what it used to be. But I also recognize that that's probably a little bit of a utopian 
look at things and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too optimistic. So recognizing that there are, you know, some of us out there, you know, me included that could be very helpful if we know how to help in terms of creating the right space where people feel comfortable being themselves and, and, and being willing to, to bring those things that they're experiencing or have experienced to the workplace because that will make us better. You know, you have any advice for, you know, male leaders out there on, you know, some of the things we can do to create that inclusive environment where people feel comfortable being themselves? So I'm talking to a bit of a master at this, I suspect. <laughs> um, but I, I think it is about making sure you really make people feel included, that you value their voice, that if someone has got a quieter voice in the room, you make sure that you give them space to be heard, that you realise that you need different voices around you, you need different ideas, and that you really genuinely value them. And it's not just about lip service. Um, And I think also making sure that you're actively identifying barriers for different types of people and thinking about how you can bust those barriers to allow different people with different backgrounds to really succeed. So, yeah, I mean, Ben, you could probably give me advice on this because you're you're very good at it. <laughs> well, well, thanks, Kate. You're, ma- you're making me blush. I come back to your five people again, right? And and when I'm picking my five people, making sure I have someone like you that goes, hey, Ben, are you thinking about you know, this perspective or someone who might have this going on in their world and maybe you can adjust a little bit and that opens up a ton of doors for people that maybe you haven't, you know, I don't have any kids. So um, I don't have that, that life experience to draw on. But if I have the right people in my little personal board of directors, then I can learn from their experiences, right? No, I think that's really true. I think another really important thing, and it's something that I believe very strongly about, is what leadership is. And that it's not actually about you. It's about them. It's about the people you serve. So it's about your teams. It's about your clients. And leadership, I think, is about servitude. Um, and I take that really, 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 you know, I take that responsibility really seriously. Um, I think servant leadership is incredibly important. And if I'm drawing an org chart, I really try not to draw myself at the top because it's not how I see my myself. I see my job is to lift other people up rather than it to be about me. You know, I, I try very hard to put myself in in the position of the people within my organisation and make sure that they're empowered and allowed to do the job that I, I think that they can do. I'm grinning ear to ear right now, Kate, because this is the part of you that I've I've always loved and I feel like people need to know is mm. is quite honestly what you just said is it should be leadership 101. It is not. But the great leaders know that you do very little of what happens yep. and your job is to empower and enable the team to do amazing things. And, you know, you just said it. And, and I think part of being an inclusive leader is being able to figure out some of those enablers look different for you than they do for me, than they might do mm. for anyone else. Right. And, 
you know, take down barriers that, I mean, a barrier that exists for you might not exist for me and vice versa. Right. Absolutely. And people are all entirely individual. So, so I can't say, Ben, every woman will face this. <laughs> you know, every woman no. will face something different. Um, every person, every person will. Right. Exactly. Because that lived experience, you know, there's there's a reason leadership is a very individual thing. In fact, you lead people and being a part of a people industry means that your leadership needs to adapt to the people that you're working with yep. and the people that you're working next to and the people that, you know, you engage with because everybody needs something different. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the kind of leader you are depends on who you're leading and you need to have an adaptive leadership style that can cope with that. Yeah, with that and beyond, right? I, mm -hmm. I, you know, and the thing that we've probably learned more in the last six months than ever is that in our pre-COVID time, it was easy for us to imagine the only factors that affected us being successful or not were those within the walls of the office. Yep. And now our eyes are open and everybody has something going on personally. Everybody is dealing with some other challenges. At the same time, each person has some ability to dip into that discretionary energy that they carry around and use to oversimplify, use their old commute time for something. And if they're excited and motivated and engaged, that can be focused on something that's adding value to their community, to their family, to them personally, to them professionally. And the only way to unlock that energy is to understand them as a person. And I think what you've pointed out today, Kate, is that leadership is tied to the individual and you need to be a real person who takes the time to understand and care about your team if you're actually going to be any sort of leader rather than a manager sitting at the top of an org chart. Yeah, and particularly now. And hopefully forever. Hopefully this is yep. this is a pivot point for leadership, right? Yeah. Let's say from now on. Love it. I love it. I hope that you enjoyed that chat with Kate as much as I did today. There are so many things to think about, both in our behavior and in thinking critically about the things we see and hear. As we approach the holidays, I'm going to take some time and go back over the year gone by and think about what we've learned along the way. The next podcast will be something of a recap of the year with reflections on things that I learned and my favorite moments from the many discussions. As for today, if you heard nothing else, Kate suggested that we should really make decisions to put ourselves in a position where we're surrounded by leaders that demonstrate the behaviors and values that we consider important. Company names and slogans don't make culture. Leaders do. You do. This is the view from where I sit. <laughs>